Matthew 1.17. Yes, we're starting at kind of verse 17. Because uh, in this, we have a picture of kind of how to handle this genealogy. Do you all get into genealogies? Somebody came up to me this morning, was sharing with me about their genealogy and kind of tracing it back. It was fascinating. Back into the Civil War and everything else was fascinating. Um, Stephanie's gotten into genealogies. And that tree begins to take shape. I can remember my grandfather... uh, He's with the Lord now, but his dad, my great-grandfather, came over from Norway, and he was a shipman, and so he came, and my grandfather was only four years old when they came to New York Harbor, to Ellis Island, walked through all that, and uh, my grandfather told me, he said, well, we went back to Norway, and we tried to do some tracing of the Christensen family in Norway, he said, but there were so many Christensens, we couldn't find anything, we didn't know where to even begin, we didn't have the time, you know, so... Uh, my family comes from Norway and from Switzerland. I've got family in both of those areas, uh, Switzerland predominantly. But genealogies are interesting, aren't they? This genealogy is unique. When we talk about Matthew and we talk about what Matthew is presenting here, he is making a case that Jesus Christ is truly the king, that he's fulfilled prophecy. He's no ordinary man. Right? He's the unique one. And as a result, he is the rightful ruler. And when you begin to think through that, and you begin to think about that type of presentation from a family tree history, it becomes pretty profound when you begin to look at the way in which God has worked through history in order to bring about what he had promised, which is the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, being born. And in verse 17, he says, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David to the depart, a deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. All right, that's an amazing thing. And we're going to look at this a little bit. Let me give you some snap facts about the genealogy, okay? Because this is an interesting uh, genealogy. And not all the pieces of the puzzle are in place. Matthew doesn't necessarily put every name with regard to the order of things. But there are some really interesting things. From Abraham uh, to Jesse, who is David's father, is one section or time period. From David to Josiah is another time period. And from Jeconiah to Joseph is a time period. The first time period is in effect the time where Israel is being established as a nation, and the kingly line of David is being prepared. The second time period is the time of the kings right before the Babylonian exile, right before their exile, all the way up to Josiah, where Pharaoh Necho came through and went to war at Carchemish against the Assyrians with the Babylonians, and then Babylonians came down and took over the southern kingdom. The Assyrians had already defeated the northern kingdom, the northern ten tribes, and uh, Judah and Benjamin were left, which is where Josiah ruled and reigned. But the Babylonians came in and took over. Second time period, uh, prior to the Babylonian exile. The third time period is during the Babylonian exile and after uh, leading to the time of Jesus. So you have these three main time periods represented within this 
genealogy. Each of these in verse 17, Matthew says, covers 14 generations. And I think that's the key. It is a time period of 14 generations within each of those uh, periods. The actual number of names listed are 13 within the first time period. Then you have 14 in the middle time period. And then another 13 uh, in the last time period. David is the central figure. And it's kind of interesting. I don't, I don't get into a whole lot of numerology. There's a lot of stuff out there that you've got to be really careful about. There's all kinds of people that want to count all kinds of stuff and say, well, that must mean. And it, it, folks, <laughs> ethereal intent, right? We've got to be careful about that to allegorize things and to use uh, hermeneutics in a correct way. In other words, the way we translate scripture needs to be handled correctly. But it is interesting that the name David in Hebrew, when you count up the numbers of the number for it, is 14. And so it appears that Matthew is using uh, a Hebrew way of uh, counting numbers for the names. It's a, a, a numerical equivalent for words that he's using here. It's called a gematria. <laughs> I'm not Hebrew. I don't know how to say that exactly right. But the point is, is that David's name equals 14. And so Matthew's using this 14 number in order to talk through the generations and the time periods, the time frames genealogically that he's giving. Clearly, it ends with Jesus. And clearly, he is in line with David, the king, but he's also in line with Abraham. You can see pictures. They've got all kinds of records on this in terms of genealogies and some of the ancient manuscripts uh, that there are. And we've got several pictures on that. Um, some of the Hebrew uh, genealogies and, and all the records that we have. I think we have a picture of the tomb of uh, Abraham as well as where David was buried. Uh, traditionally, where it's understood that he was buried. It's fascinating. How many of you have been to Israel? How many of you actually have been? Amen. How many of you would like to go? Wow, that's cool. So good, we're having a trip next year. And uh, <laughs> no, we'll see. I've been praying about that, honestly, but we'll see. It is fascinating. The Grace New Testament commentary says this, Matthew gives evidence that Jesus inherited a legal right to rule through his stepfather, Joseph. One could not claim title to a throne without the proper bloodline. He must be in a royal family. Jesus could claim the right to kingship because he is the son of David, king of Israel. He's also related right back to Abraham. And Matthew makes that very clear in his presentation to Jewish people that Jesus is the Messiah, that he truly is the king, that he comes in fulfillment of two great covenants. First, the Abrahamic covenant. Second, the Davidic covenant. Only in Jesus is this fulfilled. And it's absolutely remarkable how God works in order to accomplish this. Well, Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 Matthew starts out, he says, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He calls him the Messiah, meaning he's the promised one. He calls him the son of David. He's directly related to King David, and therefore he has the right to rule. He's also the son of Abraham. 
And he comes in fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. He starts out the record of the genealogy, and it really has the idea of the book of record with regard to Jesus Christ. And probably it's not the entire book of Matthew that's being referred to in this particular phrase, but rather the first two chapters because he's talking about the birth of the Lord and his ancestry as well as obviously his genealogy. In Luke, we get a different genealogy and it's traced through Mary. And so there's a few different names in there because this is Mary's uh, genealogical record and speaking to the birth of the Lord. But here in Matthew... Uh, this is very clearly to establish that Jesus has the right to be the ruler, the right to be the king, because he is the stepson, he is the adopted son of Joseph, who is in line with David as well as with Abraham. What a fascinating thing. The Abrahamic and Davidic covenants. I like how the Bible Knowledge Commentary puts it. Jesus Christ is the main character in Matthew's presentation, and the opening verse connected him back to two great covenants in Jewish history. First, the Davidic, and secondly, the Abrahamic. In verse 2 and following, we get a list of these names, and I want you to memorize this. Uh, we're going to do a quiz on this next week. What, what, what are you laughing for? <laughs> Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers. And it would be normal, I would think, to put in his brothers because these are the founders, in effect, the patriarchs of Israel itself, the, the nation. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by who? Ruth. And Obed the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David the king. Now, there's a whole lot of ways we could approach this. There's a whole different... <laughs> way of going about this and different ways of looking at all these different things. Here's, here's how I felt like the Lord led me to do it. I want to give you three things today and just kind of think through this period of time, which is really about the patriarchs. It is about the founding of Israel and it is about Israel becoming. It's the time frame that dealt with God coming to Abraham, giving him the covenant where he basically told Abraham that if you follow me and if you trust me, I'm going to make you in a great nation that he swore by himself, God swore by himself that he would do this, that all the families in the earth were gonna be blessed through Abraham. And we know because Paul tells us in Galatians that the seed that was promised to Abraham is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Not only was Abraham promised a nation where he was looking up at the stars and the Lord said, I'm gonna have descendants for you as numerous as the stars. But there was also a seed promise to Abraham, which is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And Paul makes that clear. Three things that as we look at this and as I kind of think about this time frame and what these people went through and seeing the nation of Israel founded through the Abrahamic covenant and as they began to grow and then you had the brothers, you had Israel named, Jacob became Israel and you had all the different brothers and then they got taken down into Egypt and then they brought back out of Egypt and they wandered in the desert and then they finally came into the promised land. All the different things that took place in order for this nation to become a nation, to be in the land of Canaan, to where David the king 
was then born and began to rule over the nation. There's three things. God, first of all, always, always keeps his promises. You know, when we look at this kind of stuff and we think about what these people went through, it's easy to read through this and take the personal out of it. And it suddenly becomes just a kind of a historical moment. These are people that lived, that went through suffering, they went through trials. Can you imagine being in Egypt for 400 years, knowing the promises that God had given to you and not knowing what was going to happen or when it was going to happen? Think about that. Or wandering in the desert for 40 years and a new generation had to be raised up in order to go into the promised land because 10 of the spies refused to trust the Lord. Joshua and Caleb stood alone. I mean, you think about what these people went through. You think about this from a genealogical perspective and the time frame that it covers. And I want you to understand God always keeps his promises. I don't know how that relates to you today, but I surely hope that it does. Secondly, God always protects his own. I mean, the miracle of this genealogical record is indescribable. We've got four women mentioned in here. And not of necessarily the best character. I would say Ruth is probably the best character. Praise God for Ruth, but she wasn't even Jewish. Right? She was a Moabite. Think about that. How God protects his own. How God accomplishes his purposes. That he's capable alone of making sure that what he has said would take place, will take place, and how he protects in the midst of that. And lastly, God always provides in unique ways. He always provides in unique ways. How many of you experienced that? You've experienced God's provision, amen? So many different stories about how God provides. Great is thy faithfulness. What a beautiful truth. So first, God always keeps his promises. Well, we can see that through the Abrahamic covenant. And in Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three, the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Folks, I, I believe uh, the Abrahamic covenant is very much still intact. I think the fact that we are opening our embassy in Jerusalem tomorrow in Jerusalem is huge. Can I say that? Whatever you think about Donald Trump, our president, and he is our president, whether you voted for him or not, I think it's absolutely awesome that he did this. God's covenant, his promise, was not based necessarily, parts of it were, but the fundamentals of it were not based on whether Abraham did what he was supposed to do or not, whether Israel did what they were supposed to do or not. The Lord promised and he swore by himself that this would take place. Now you think about that. That's incredible. Literally what the Lord said is, may I cease from existence if this does not come to pass. Wow. God 
keeps his promises. And I think we can bank on that because that's his character, folks. Well, we can see it in how he fulfilled his promise regarding Isaac. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 11 and 12, we're told this, By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore there was born, even of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. What a beautiful truth. He fulfilled his promise regarding Isaac. You know the story well, I'm sure. Abraham and Sarah had become old. God had promised them a descendant. Literally, Abraham said, well, I don't have a child of my own, so Eleazar is going to be my adopted child, my adopted heir. And the Lord said, no, no. And then Abraham took things into his own hands, right? Hagar and Ishmael. The Lord said, no, no. Here he says they were as good as dead, and yet God still provided. Why? Because God keeps his promises. In Genesis 22, verses 15 and 18, the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son. This is where uh, the Lord had told him to take Isaac and sacrifice him, and Abraham was about to do it. And the Lord stopped him. He said, you have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven, as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. What a beautiful truth. God keeps his promises. You can see it in the Abrahamic covenant. You can see it in the promises regarding Isaac. You can certainly see it in how God fulfilled his promises to Jacob with regard to bringing this nation out of Egypt. In Genesis 50, verses 24 and following, he says, Joseph said to his brothers, this is how Joseph concluded his relationship with his brothers. He says, I'm about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land of the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Isn't that cool? I mean, they've been there, and Joseph became second in command. God used him in order to do all kinds of things to protect them, builds them into a nation. And Joseph, looking forward, because of the promises of God, said, there's coming a day when you're going to leave here. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. And when you see the exodus take place, whose bones are they carrying? (laughs) They're taking Joseph and they bury him in the promised land. What an amazing truth, folks. God keeps his promises. He fulfilled his promise regarding the land. In Joshua 21, verse 43, this statement is made. So the Lord gave Israel all the land which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they possessed it and lived in it. Isn't that awesome? How many years did they look forward to that promise that God had made to them? How many times did they go through circumstances that looked insurmountable, and yet in the midst of it, they absolutely held to that truth, and they passed it on from generation to generation. God has made a covenant with us, and this will one day come to pass. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Joshua and the rest to see those promises actually fulfilled? How they looked back 
through their own genealogies and through the formation of the nation of Israel. And they looked at all the things that had gone on, all the suffering, all the difficulty, and all the stuff. How God's hand had been with them and how God had worked with them. How God had protected them and provided for them. And now to recognize God has fulfilled his promise. God keeps his promises, folks. We can bank on that. But God also protects his own. And you can see this in so many different ways, how God protected Isaac from Ishmael, how God protected Isaac from being sacrificed. The Lord did that as a test of Abraham, but he protected Isaac. How he protected uh, Joseph. I mean, think about that. Here he is, sold into slavery. He becomes second in command in Egypt, falsely accused, two years in prison, ends up coming before Pharaoh, interprets a dream about a famine that's going to come, seven years of good, seven years of the worst famine uh, that really in world history at that point that they probably knew of. And it impacted everywhere, not just Egypt. And yet God used Joseph as second in command to put a plan together, not only to save all the people in Egypt, but I believe in order to save his own family because they were starving. They were starting to come to Egypt in order to get food because they didn't have any. God's protection of Israel while they were in Egypt, they became a great nation. Moses being found in the rushes of the Nile. I mean, what a story that is in and of itself. Hear the baby crying. All the kids are supposed to be killed. Pharaoh's daughter, here's Moses, takes Moses in. Moses is raised up and trained in the ways of the Egyptians. Wrote the first five books of the law. My goodness, how God protects his own. And I love the story about the midwives, don't you? What bravery. They were commanded to kill the children. But in Exodus 1.17, the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. Wow. How does God work? How does God protect? When God promises something, you know it's going to take place. And in the midst of that, he begins to protect his own. And he makes sure that things go the way that he knows they need to go for all kinds of reasons, for the fulfillment of prophecy and for his people. Moses in his time in the desert being prepared to lead Israel out of Egypt, the burning bush. Isn't that one of your favorite stories? I mean, can you imagine Moses' face? That's hilarious. And the Lord starts to speak to him from the burning bush, take off your sandals, you're on holy ground. Moses, I, who am I? I can't talk, I'm not a good speaker. 40 years of humility in the desert to be prepared in order to go back and be used of God in order to lead Israel out of Egypt. Wow, to free them, to fulfill God's promises, but God knew how to protect them and to watch over them in order to accomplish his purposes. How about the plagues? Indescribable. People today want to explain them away as just natural disasters, nonsense. They were God-ordained in order to reveal his power. Incredible. 
God's protection of Israel from Egypt as they cross the Red Sea. I love the verses in Exodus 14, verses 13 and following. But Moses said to the people, do not fear, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep what? Silent. You come up with a plan? No, no, no. Stay, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Wow, God fought for them and revealed himself to them as their protector. I love the protection of Rahab from the destruction of Jericho. God knew her heart. I mean, you think about this lady. Here's a lady who's a prostitute. Who knows what hopelessness she went through? And yet in the midst of it, God reaches out to her, saves her, And she's actually in the genealogy of Christ himself. What an incredible story of how God protects. Joshua 6.25 says, However, Rahab the harlot and her father's household and all she had, Joshua spared, and she has lived in the midst of Israel to this day, for she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. She's listed in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. Incredible. What a great story of how God protected what his purposes were in order to accomplish this genealogical record to bring about the birth of the promised one, the Messiah, the son of David, Jesus Christ himself. But in the midst of that, when you think about this time frame, this period of the patriarchs, God always provides in unique ways. My goodness, didn't he? I mean, (laughs) story after story after story of God's Provision. One of my favorites, and I'm probably jumping the gun here a little bit, was when they were complaining about the manna. You know what I'm talking about? We want meat. <laughs> and they start complaining about the manna, the bread of angels. And the Lord says, I'm going to give you so much meat, it's going to come out your nostril. You're going to be so stuffed with meat, you're not even going to know what to do because he was so sick of their complaining. That's hilarious. The thing is, we do the same thing, don't we? Oh. God's provision for Isaac with the ram. I love that picture of Abraham walking up one side of the hill with Isaac. He's already told him the Lord will provide the sacrifice. As he's about to kill his beloved son, the Lord stops him and says, look, there's a ram. Use that for your sacrifice. How God provides right at the right time how he provided the water and the food, the manna and the quail for Israel in the desert, or the tabernacle and the law. Think about the provision of that. Incredible, it impacts us to this day. The Ten Commandments, foundation of law. The bronze serpent for healing. I love that story. All you have to do is look at that bronze serpent. You get bitten by one of these snakes, all you have to do is by faith look at that bronze serpent. You'll be healed. You'll be healed. The Lord uses that as an example of how the Son of Man is lifted up. What a beautiful truth. God's provision of victories over his enemy, enemies, uh, Jericho and the walls. Who would have come up with that plan? Walk around once per day for six days, seventh day, do it seven times, blow the trumpets and just watch. <laughs> I don't know if one of our generals today would probably, you know, they'd look at that and go, hmm, how are we going to do that? But God's way of absolutely providing and how he constantly was revealing himself as the provider, as their leader, 
as the one who would take care of them. I love the story in Exodus 17 when the Israelites were fighting against Amalek. And what happened? Moses was supposed to hold that rod up, right? And he started getting tired. His arms started to drop. And Israel started to lose. So who came alongside? Aaron and Hur came alongside in order to prop his arms up. As soon as he got his arms up, what happened? Joshua and the army started winning again. You think that they didn't get it? Hey, this is about what the Lord can do, not our strength. It's not what we can do. It's how the Lord provides in the midst of these circumstances. I love the idea of the sun being held still. People have tried to explain that away forever. Amen. Joshua called out to the Lord. So, Lord, this is your victory. This is, we got to have more light. Paraphrasing. Hold that sun still. I mean, can you imagine asking God to do that? The faith is incredible. And the Lord did it. The Bible says it was, the Lord listened to Joshua and did what Joshua asked him to do. Wow, how God provided over and over again. The numerous victories in the land of Canaan, you can see that all through the book of Joshua. But I love the story of Boaz and Ruth, don't you? Kinsman redeemer. Oh, it just about brings me to tears. You think about Ruth, hopeless, lost her husband, comes back with Naomi, poor, destitute, goes to Boaz's field, begins to glean from the edges of the field. Boaz sees her. Who in the world is that? Leave some extra. <laughs> Better have more. And the whole story of how God used Ruth and how Boaz was her kinsman redeemer and they had a son and they are in the genealogical record of Christ himself. Folks, God always fulfills his promises. He always protects. He always provides in unique ways. How are you experiencing that today? When you look at this genealogical record and you look at all the different names, don't just think of them as some biblical record. It's some kind of thing that we just look at and go, okay. No, these are real people in, in real history going through indescribable times and how they experienced God and how God was at work in their lives. And Matthew presenting this to the Jewish people, they would understand this. They would know all of this picture and all of this history. And he's saying, this is the record of the son of David, who's also related obviously to Abraham, who is the Messiah, Christ himself. He is the king. And he is worthy of our worship and our allegiance. Folks, how are you trusting the Lord today in terms of his promises to you? You know, one of the greatest promises, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, what does he say? You shall be what? Saved. We can walk through this life knowing that we have security, knowing that we have assurance because of what Christ did for us at the cross. We can trust him because he is a promise-keeping God. We can fully rely upon him and not be disappointed because what God has said will come to pass. You place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have your sin forgiven because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and believing in him, friend, you know where you're going to spend eternity because God said it. God said it. Are you walking with the Lord in such a way 
that in the midst of life, you're recognizing how he protects you, how he watches over you. It's incredible how God is at work all around us. And somehow all of us do this, but we get these blinders on and all we're worried about is what our agenda for the day might be or what we're supposed to get accomplished or what plan we are supposed to fulfill on God's behalf. And the truth is, is God's working all around us. And the question is, do we trust him to do that? Are we watching uh, him and, and walking with him and experiencing the protection that he has for us in what his will in and through our lives is? And lastly, how are we experiencing God's provision in our lives? Because he doesn't just provide material things. <laughs> he is our peace. He's our joy. Paul says in Colossians, he's our life. How are we walking with him where we are experiencing the Lord Jesus Christ himself and how he provides all that is necessary for us? We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in who? In Christ. And if I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then Christ comes to live within me and I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Incredible. How are we walking in that? How are we walking with the Lord in the midst of that, with that understanding, with that recognition, with that truth going before us? Would you close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment? How's God working in your life today? Do you know him? Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, for forgiveness of sin? Have you been saved? Do you know for sure where you're going to spend eternity? That's a pretty important question, isn't it? Matthew presents the king, the Messiah, the ruler. You know what that ruler did for us? He came to this earth, he humbled himself, became a bondservant, placed himself under the curse, and he even went to the cross and died so that we might have life. Wow, our king is a great king. He's the great king. Do you believe in him? Do you trust him? Because I wanna tell you something, he is trustworthy. Not only will he keep his promises, not only will he protect, but he will provide. Do you trust him to do that? Believers, are you walking in that light day by day, moment by moment? Are your eyes fixed upon him, recognizing that he's the Messiah, he's the king, he's the ruler? All things are under his authority. Would you stand with me and just take a moment? What's God doing in your life? What are you facing today? What are you worried about? What are you concerned about? Maybe you need to just take a moment and give it to the Lord. And just be reminded that he's the Lord, that he's able, that he's capable, and that he loves you. He knows you. He knows everything about you. He loves you unconditionally. You don't have to clean yourself up to come to Christ. The reality is that he knows that you need him. Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? 
Have you received him in order to become a child of the king? Are you able to say with certainty that if I were to die today, I would go to be with the Lord, not because of my own good works or anything that I deserve, but rather because of what Jesus did for me at the cross, and I have believed in him and received the promise that he gives. Are you able to say that today? If you need to talk to somebody, I would encourage you to come down and just talk with someone. Maybe you need to come down to the front and just kneel. What promise are you worried that God's gonna keep in your life? What is it that you need to be protected from? Maybe there's an internal moment there where you just need to be reminded to trust the Lord. You may not understand the circumstances. You may be going through a very difficult situation, but God knows he is your life. He will give you the grace. He will give you the strength. He'll give you the wisdom. Trust him. Do you need provision? Whatever that may be, whatever that may look like, do you trust the Lord to do that? Take a moment. Go before the Lord. You do as the Lord would lead you this morning. Father, we come before you and I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you're here with us because you indwell us, you know each one. You know our hearts, you know our struggles, you know our worries, our concerns. Lord, I pray that we would learn to trust you more and more, to experience you each and every moment of each and every day. I thank you that you're the king. I thank you that you are the son of David. I thank you for the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant and as well as the Davidic covenant that we see in you. And Lord, I thank you so much that you've made yourself known. And we have the opportunity of walking with you day by day. Thank you for that. Lord, I pray for each and every one here this morning. I pray, Lord, if there's somebody here that doesn't know you, they don't have assurance of eternal life, Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts. Draw them to yourself. May they come to a saving knowledge of who you are. And Lord, for believers, I pray that each and every one of us throughout even this day would be sensitive to walk with you according to the leading of the Holy Spirit within us, that we would present you as the king to everybody that we come in contact with. Lord, whether it's through our lives, whether it's through our attitudes, whether you lead us to say something specifically, may we follow you. Thank you for your grace. We love you. We're grateful for moms. Thank you for them today. I pray that you bless each of them in a special way. We love you. We're grateful for this time together. And in Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Happy Mother's Day. Hope you have a wonderful day in Christ. Take care.